you know, framing to me is really just establishing that frame or that picture that when you communicate, uh, the other person is seeing their perspective through that context. And that allows you to communicate better and ultimately get outcomes that you're seeking to have. As long as they're good intention, I think it's, it's all good. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the NeuroSide of Influence and Leadership with Rene Rodriguez. One, first of all, thanks for making the time. Um, you, when you and I first met, it was, it was almost like a kindred brother spirit soul of two people that almost studied, researched some of the same stuff, applied it in very different ways, and came together and just realized that there's so much more that can be done. So I, I kind of want to have a conversation of those things specifically around one of your big passions, which is framing. Mm -hmm. And so I mean, you see the, I already see the smile come up when we, when we think of framing. Tell me about just what does framing mean to you? When did you first run into it? I mean, look, look, the framing or whatever, the shaping your opinions on life, there's only a few people that really do it. Mm. And you don't recognize that when it's happening until it happened. And you're like, huh, my perspective has shifted to a new perspective. And it's been shaped by you, authors, my dad, you know, people that are really close to me. And framing is one of those things I stumbled upon. And frankly speaking, I thought it was stupid. The first time I heard it, I'm like, frames, what are you talking about? This is way too combative for, you know, my style of life. I'm pretty, you know, keep it cool and just have a good time. But when you start realizing that frames exist, yeah. you can't unsee it. Yeah. It's like seeing the windmill dunk for the first time. You're just like, wow, <laughs> you can do that? And then it changes everything. So, you know, framing to me is really just establishing that frame or that picture that when you communicate, uh, the other person is seeing their perspective through that context. And that allows you to communicate better and ultimately get outcomes that you're seeking to have. As long as they're good intention, I think it's, it's all good. And I think you and I have had that discussion too of, of once you understand the power of framing, that the ethical conversation should be right next to it. The, what, like there's an ethical use of influence, an ethical use of, of uh, framing. And mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of the first conversations we had was saying, okay, right. so just because we can shift perception, which in essence shifts reality for people because perception equals reality, how, how do and how have you found yourself managing that dilemma? You know, I think a lot of people that have not heard it before will say, oh, that sounds like manipulation. I'm like, no, 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 no. That, that's not the intent at all. Actually, it's the opposite. Whenever you meet anyone, the, the whole goal in a conversation is to communicate and be understood how you intend to be understood. Yeah. And by putting labels or even context to that communication style and start understanding what the other the receiver and their style of communication it allows you to speak in a way or frame in a way that allows you to really communicate better. And so they understand what you're intending to say versus seeing it from a different perspective or, you know, falling in uh, to a, a victim of being, 
you know, defensive or reacting versus being thoughtful in your conversation. I think that is the, the difference to me than, you know, looking at it from a negative way. Of course, influence can be positive and influence can be negative. And one of my core beliefs is that negative influence is the most powerful and in a bad way. Yeah. And that to combat that positive influence is really tiring and hard and it takes really takes a collective of people yeah. to commit to positive influence versus negative because resorting to negative influence I've had a bad day traffic was bad the weather sucks you know let's pile on the problems that's easy and super contagious the opposite's harder and I really think framing is a good way to positively influence folks whether that's through communication whether that's through leadership whether that's sales doesn't really matter it's about how can you get a positive reaction to people that you're trying to influence. So I love that because what I'm hearing you say is that influence is going to happen regardless. And For sure. kids try to influence, they frame, uh, women frame, men frame, everybody uses a frame, which is building a context to a message before, like, all right, let me, before I tell you, let me tell you what's happening. Yeah. Like just that, they already know they're framing right now. And whether they're doing it because they learned or they learn just by that the contextualization is important, mm -hmm. everyone's framing. But I love what you're saying is that even people that understand what framing is, just by their attitude and coming in and seeing all the negative things, it becomes contagious and you have to be just as diligent on pointing out the positive and pointing out what's, what else is going on. Both are realities. I, I was telling my son um, about you know, positive and negative. I said, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. Right. And, and he, he's like, he goes, okay. I said, well, I can make a case right now as to why my life sucks. And I gave him five, six things. And he's like, and you watch his body language just start falling. <laughs> and, and I go, but I give you a case why my life's amazing. And I gave him five or six things that were just insane, awesome. He's like, and I go, which one's true? And he's like sitting there, I said, here's the thing, they're both true, but my reality is based on which one I decide to focus on. Now, some of these are gonna to be tough, but I can't control all those things. And so the frame is about how do I manage mm -hmm. life through that? I, so as a, as a leader, your job, you're telling me, and can you expand on that a little bit about? Yeah, yeah. My, so leadership, as I've learned and defined it through, through really, through discussions with you and others is, you know, how can you, it's sameness, right? Get people to, do and think and go for the same goal. And there's all sorts of leaders. However, an absence of leadership around the same goals and positive, negative leadership will win out every time. Mm. You think back to sports, it's something big in my life and I can't help but tie everything back to it. It's really easy to let the, the guy or gal that's not playing, having a bad year, thinking about leaving, whatever, you know, a me guy versus a we guy to take everything down. Even if you have the best momentum, the best team, you have the most talent, you all the cards are in your favor, one negative guy can ruin it all. Mm. One negative coach can ruin it all. But committing to positive influence or positive sameness, that's the only way. One positive guy will not change a bunch of negative people. Mm. But one negative person can change a bunch of positive guys, and that's scary. And you see that in everyday media, you see it all the time. There's yeah. high contrast in the types of way people think and sensationalism of the stories really drives a negative perspective on what's going on. It's hard to stay kind of centered in your perspective because that's just not how we consume media. And I think leadership is combating all of those externalities all the time about 
you know, a common goal and understanding that yes, things will go wrong. Yes, bad days will happen. Mm. Yes, things will fall off track. But the sooner we can learn about it, the sooner we can do something about it. So flipping the script on what's really negative by making negative positives in the sense of at least we know. Now let's do something. Can, so can you give me an example? Because what, what I want to get past is you know, people going, oh, he's just talking about positive thinking. Because what you're saying is profound. It's very deep because you're, you're talking about the purpose of a leader, the daily battle against the negative bias that pulls us mm -hmm. even biologically and physiologically in, uh, from a neuroscience perspective, we're geared toward that negative bias. Tell me, maybe give me an example of how you've had to battle that or maybe one frame you've been able to reframe for people that may have been, if you hadn't shown up, mm -hmm. been framed in a negative way. We talk about, you know, objectives, we call them rocks, and it's Steve Covey concept, but really priorities that really matter. Yeah. You know, so the most important. The things. big rocks. The big rocks. Yeah, yeah. And so in a situation where, you know, a weekly status update and, you know, someone, myself, is reporting a, on a rock and saying, yeah, it's on track, and, but it's off track. But you tell the team, <laughs> it's on track, it's on track, it's on track. Yeah. You know, 13 weeks go by week 13 off track quarters over and everyone's like wait what a second happened? i thought it was on track but they're so afraid of saying the negative truth that they didn't bring it up they just kept kicking the can and ultimately that's worse off yeah now flip the script and do it a different way week one off track guys i need help mm. who can help me oh have you thought about this have you called this person? What if we try this? How about we put a team on that and help you out with this rock? Because it seems like it's a big, yeah. big rock to move. And then maybe you don't get the goal at the end, but at least you have the team around it. So in the end, if you miss, no it's no surprise. Because the worst news is the ones that's not talked about. Because the negative frame is that saying I'm off track is, is bad. The frame with your company is no, the bad is waiting till 13 weeks. The good thing is actually to tell us right away. I think you have to celebrate bad news. Hmm. Definitely celebrate good news because it's great, yeah. but you have to celebrate bad news because then you can do something about it. So we try to look at- Even that's a frame, celebrating bad news. Yeah, I've never thought about it. I mean, labeling things in general to give it context so it's repeatable. Hmm. I think people like you, um, my dad, Jerry Lorenzen, you know, other uh, charismatic folks that are just good at stuff. Uh, you, you constantly like, man, this guy, you know, born leader or taught leader, or you're born for sales. Eh, I, I disagree. It's taking things that people like you guys do and saying, wait a second, let's dissect that. Let's really look into what Renee's doing here and how he's communicating. And let's put a process in place where that's teachable because it's in everyone. You can... Everyone can be taught how to manage people. Everyone can be taught how to lead people. Everyone can be taught how to tell stories. You know how many things online is like, be a great storyteller. You know, it's, it's not about just telling stories. It's about taking all of that learning how to communicate to be effective at what you're trying to do. And I think that's where really where changing the frame around bad news is, is so important. Because there's a time at Purist, you know, we were scaling up a business. Mm. It's hard. And it feels like you're not moving that rock at all. And your forecast, your budget, your projections are all wrong. <laughs> and typically the day you put them down on paper in a growth business, they're wrong. You know they're wrong already. And then when you start missing those and it's, it's hard to explain, 
the negative news, the negative reality just gets uh, stacked on top of you and you have to say, pause. Let's not lose perspective of where we came from. Even yeah. though we're not where we want to be, let's start celebrating good news. And like I said, build process to force it out. And we actually today, uh, we do something we call TW1 forecasting. TW1. And TW1 doesn't mean a lot to people probably watching this, but to Puris, TW1 stands for together we are one. Right. It's a core value uh, of partnership. That's right, yeah. together we are one. And we call it TW1 forecasting because we bring all the cross-functional team together on one Zoom call now, but typically in one room, or, or everyone gets together, conference call, and we forecast what's gonna happen in the next month. We don't talk about what's happened. Yes, we use that to help build our forecast, yeah. but we can't always just look backwards. You have to look forward, and that allows you to take bad news and do something about it, because that's ultimately what everyone wants to do. People want to be successful. They want to have fun. They want a good life, and bad news sucks, but if you talk about it, you can be actionable around making it different and changing the reality of the situation. And I think that's been a huge learning curve for me and my development as a CEO is, you know, if you're always just command and control and just focused on all the negative stuff, it's very easy to fall into that trap, but you have to pull yourself out and remember that, you know, it's about the journey and don't forget the change that's occurred because it's really, really important and beautiful and you should celebrate it. And then that builds an environment where bad news isn't so scary anymore. You know, what I loved, it, what since we met, you were always so good about taking the courageous step about putting a, a, a stake in the sand, even though you knew, like you said, we're not gonna hit this, but we at least have to put it out there to start going towards it. Mm -hmm. Even though we don't hit it, we've still moved this and to help an organization still feel successful in the quote unquote miss yeah. was a huge endeavor for you. I watched you do it and it was, it was masterful, absolutely masterful. It's a, I don't know about that. You know, I appreciate that, thank you. Well, it doesn't feel masterful when you're doesn't missing it. Doesn't feel it. But you still, yeah. from, as an outsider that had nothing to lose, right? Mm. Watching you guys all take those steps and saying, here's where we are, and then having the courage to do that. But then the team, because that's what you created was a team that felt that together and still celebrated the loss, but still took a moment to look at where we came from, but then your culture is also one to say, let's not celebrate too long. <laughs> we still got the grind. Yeah. You know, we still got the next step. You know, almost too much. You know, you look at athletes and, you know, big championships. You know, you watch the Michael Jordan documentary. Almost. I'm not there yet. Not there yet. I'm, I, so, I'm holding off so I can watch it all at once. So Tim Grover is his uh, trainer in that movie. He, he has a pretty good book uh, that's if you want to learn about MJ, Kobe, Dwayne Wade. Um, you gave it to me, Relentless. Yeah, Relentless, exactly. He talks about what MJ holds up after every championship. So he wins number five. Well, he holds up five. No, he says he holds up six because he's talking about the next one. <laughs> And that just shows you how insane he is that he's not even going to celebrate the wow. win. He almost celebrated in relief. And you, you see some of these great players hit the pinnacle of what's possible in sport. And then they're like, that's it? Yeah. And what's next? And to me, that's in business, the difference of sports is it's game day every day. Yeah. It's every year, it's, it's, it's constant grind. There's no reset. There's no game at the end of the week. There's no championship per year. You have to create that environment of wins and losses. But the key thing is doing it together both, both ways. And that's where TW1, Together We Are One, is 
really what it's about, just getting clarity and open book on what does winning look like? What does losing look like? How do we do it? How do we combat losing? Because losing is no fun. Yeah. And how do we win more and, and have a good time doing it while building an environment of, of safety, which is a, this language you gave me, um, to talk about the truth yeah. and feelings and negatives and all the things. <laughs> all the stuff, right? So, so listen, I want to I wanna dissect that a little bit because I think it's, 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 again, genius where you didn't just say, hey, let's do a TW1 meeting. You said, hold on a second. There's a problem that we're always looking backwards. So identification of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So then we need to figure out a way to look forward. Right. And you said, okay, so if we're gonna do that, what does that mean to us as our value? One, you incorporate that, that's part of the frame, and then we wanna to be together, and you put a label. Uh, you're so good, you guys are so good at labeling things, which then makes it tangible and almost branded, mm -hmm. creates the emotional attachment around it to then reframe a meeting to look forward, which solves a problem of always looking backwards. And so it almost, or balances it out. Balances. And so like for those listening, I'm, I'm thinking to themselves to look at the pattern of that and to think, what challenge do we have? Mm -hmm. And what could we do based on our core values to frame a new endeavor, meeting, whatever it is, to balance that, that piece? I, I love that. No. You're right on. And by no means did we invent this concept. You know, there's, I think great, the bigger the business, the more processes are in place to you know, manage it. And this is probably standard work in you know, Fortune 500 companies and, and so on and so forth. But with high growth companies, you're growing in dog years. Yeah. You wake up and your business is a lot different than it was a quarter ago and you start rewinding five years and you're like, holy smokes, the industry is completely changed in five years, not just grown, yeah. completely changed. And that, that really requires you to have a, a growth mindset and to constantly change your business because it has to grow or it'll break and crumble. And so that, that's been how we're looking at people like Cargill, 3M, uh, authors like Jack Stack and The Great Game of Business and, and Scaling Up, Vernhard, some of the stuff that you know probably out there has been out there, but you can take it and apply it to your challenge yeah. and it can really help you know, bring everyone together and ultimately win because that's, that's what people want to have fun. Like in the end, like the winning's is, fun. It's got to be fun. Or and winning is fun. Winning is way better than losing. <laughs> that is for sure. So you brought up some sports. Can you, so can you go back to, because uh, I think your background and history and how you got to where you are now, I think that's the frame of some stuff I want to talk about. So just start wherever you want. Yeah. Well, I grew up, uh, so the business I run today is a family company. So I grew up at a young age running parts of this company. And when I say that, I was a corn breeder. My dad is a plant breeder and the whole basis of Purus is a plant-based protein company. So we develop seeds, farmers grow it, then we make ingredients and sell it to products that you eat in stores now. And I know you eat them. We ate a lot of them. Eat them <laughs> plant strong, baby. But that, that's what I did as a kid because it was a family business. It was tiny back in the early 80s, early 90s, or late 80s, early 90s, excuse me. But what my passion was was football. Yeah. Actually, basketball was my heart, but football was what came most naturally. And I was, I was a QB. I went to a town of 900 people, class of 23, in grade school, and I remember telling my teacher in fifth grade I was going to play pro football. She laughed at me, and I was like, you know, my my perspective was someone's got to do it. You know, why not? Why not me? Someone's got to do it. Well, with a dad like you, I can see why that mindset. Yeah, comes you from. know, my, my dad is is limitless in what's possible, and it's exhausting, no <laughs> doubt, for most people. But as a kid, and that's just every day, it was just normal life. Yeah. Like you get what you believe and without doubt you can do anything 
your body is designed to be perfect, just let it go. Let it all hang out. Practice, prepare, do all the hard stuff, dedicate, sacrifice, don't drink, don't do drugs, all of these things. And then when the game time comes, you've done all the hard work just to let your mind go mm. and just be you. And so that's how I went after sports and which was, which was exciting. And it was an interesting journey, you know, not perfect coming from a tiny school is hard to get recruited, hard to get noticed. But over the years, uh, I was able to, you know, achieve part of my dream, which was playing D1 college quarterback, I went to UConn, which was a roundabout way, played Juco and Cali, started off at Iowa State, but uh, we were good. We were Kobe East champs, 2007, nice. so not too bad. And that took me to really pro football. And again, like the journey requires, you have to adapt. And I was a good college quarterback, but I wasn't good enough to play pro. And they switched my positions to tight end. So, you know, draft comes. I'll never forget this. I was in Minneapolis at my sister's house. Every round goes by. There's only three quarterbacks taken that year, three or four. They're all studs. And a Heisman finalist, Chase Daniel, not drafted. He's still in the league for like 10 years now. Not drafted. So I'm undrafted guy. I'm like, what's going to happen? My phone rings. It's Mike Tice, of all people. Minnesota guy. So all you uh, yeah. Minneapolis folks will like this. And he's saying, hey, Tyler Lorenzen. Yo, if you, I played, played tight end for 17 years in the NFL, and I, I played a quarterback in college. Come down to Jacksonville, and I'll turn you into a tight end. And I'm like, what? And I not, you know, didn't believe this. And my pro day was kind of interesting. Belichick had me do DB drills, Bill Belichick. Yeah. And, and so that kind of started this whole process of me doing other positions at pro day. I ran routes. I threw. I thought it was like, I'm a quarterback. Like, that's what I do. And – Lo and behold, I end up going to Jacksonville as a, a free agent, tight end, and I transitioned to that position, and then well, I got cut, and the Saints signed me in 2009, and we put the whooping on the Vikings <laughs> in the <laughs> NFC Championship game. And so I was on the practice squad, but uh, it's, you know, practice squad or not, it's you're on the team, and it's really cool. And we won the Super Bowl, which was great, and I think my, my time in the NFL was not for long. Yeah. It was just long enough uh, for me to learn a lot and apply all that to Puris. And I think about some of the leaders and things that happened specifically on that road to winning a Super Bowl with the dynamic between Drew Brees and Sean Payton and John Vilma and how they handled situations at the time I took for granted, but now I reflect. And it was, it was true definition of what leaders do. Mm. You know, managing tension and being tough. And but at the same time, loving up on people, and that that balance of, you know, novelty, but strict process, and how that balances in a, uh, you know, twenty four week season as a rookie, that grind, that's real. Yeah. And you're you're questioning everything. Uh, am I tough enough? Am I going to get cut? All of these things and those leaders, get you to just put it all in. And then when you win, Coach Payton said first meeting back. He said, well, this is funny because I'm a plant-based uh, guy now. But he said, gentlemen, once you have filet mignon, you never eat roast beef. You never will order it. Super Bowl or bust. He walks out of the meeting room, and he set the standard yeah. that you either win a Super Bowl or it's a, it's a failure of a season. And that's, you know, 10 years later, they haven't been back. So he used, I mean, just, he, there, just a frame. I mean, his frame was meat. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was so simple, but yet, so, what effect did it have on you at that age? it made you realize that that's a standard. Like what happened last year, great, congrats. 
doesn't matter. Next. Only one solution, there's only one way. It, that's intense. Yeah. And so the magic and all the things that have to happen huh. to get there, it's, it's so unique. And you know, there's, I mean, I could tell stories about that season, those 24 weeks over and over and over. But what I remember the most and what I take back is those memories, but also the, just the relationships now, because you can tap into those people that operate at such a high level yeah. all the time and, and hyper-focus on their actions. I always joke, you know, if, if businesses had it, fans, think how much better we would be. We would be like all over it. You want to make the perfect Excel spreadsheet, the crowd goes wild. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be amazing, <laughs> but that's just not the way it is. So you kind of have to manufacture excitement in some cases in business. It's funny, but yet profound too. Like. The, the perfect Excel spreadsheet because there's so many elements and so many unsung heroes in the business that make right. things happen. I mean, how many people that are sort of your silent, invisible hands around you? But you said something I want to go back to. Mm -hmm. You said that the leaders, the strong leaders, are the ones that manage tension. What do you mean by that? And get specific. So you are the, the brain expert, so I'm not going to go too deep. In no, go, go deep. Just have fun. So I'll go surface level on how the brain works. I'd like you to build upon it because sure. it'll, it'll make it better. But just like a good movie. If a, a movie starts out dull and there's no tension, there's no excitement, there's nothing like on the edge, edge, edge of the seat, the best that movie can probably be is, eh, it's okay. Yeah. Even if it comes back, that's super exciting. And I think I, think I might have stole this from um, Five Dysfunctions of the Team. I'm not sure. But if you think about the best movies, that get you hooked. Yeah. They, they have a mixture of you falling in love with the character and risking it all yeah. early and often and you're hooked and you're locked in that creates tension mm. and that, that there's a chemical reaction in your brain the tension and dopamine equals attention yes and you want to get attention so i think you mm. see a lot of leaders and i'm victim of this too where and salespeople too where you just rapport jump how high you know you're doing whatever the other person you're talking to is saying but they're not paying attention yeah. because there's no tension part of the attention. Yeah. I think that is missed a lot in oh, it's leadership. So missed. And it's, you know, what's the perfect amount? Who knows? The perfect amount though, is when you have people's attention. Yeah. And if you do the opposite, if you're all tension, 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 then people go so far below the line, yeah. your language, uh, to apathetic and they don't hear you anymore because that's dull tension. And there's no out, there's no out. Yeah, it's there's just all the time. There's no payoff to the That's tension. Right. So I think you, you, we, we've had a discussion too around how do you create that tension. And it's a subject that works in branding. It works in, in the biggest ads, like the, the best ads pop tension, you know, unspoken mm -hmm. tension, right? The thing that you're like, oh, like a good joke, a good meme is, is yeah. funny because it, it breaks an unspoken truth, right. a cultural tension. You're like, That's so hilarious because I knew it was there, I didn't know how to say it, and I never did say it, but you said it, oh, thank God. Right. And I think you're saying, how do you create, because we're talking about influence, right? That's right. And, and how do you do that in capturing attention, because if you don't have attention, you're not influencing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and go, go to that formula again. It was dopamine. Norepinephrine. No, yep, norepinephrine. Norepinephrine, the combination is attention. Yeah. So good and stress mm -hmm. creates attention. I love it. And I think there's, there's some leaders who say, Hey, we stress-free, you know, perfect harmony is scary too. Yeah. And it, that, that's certainly from five dysfunctions of a team, you know, good conflict, creative conflict, creative conflict. Exactly. And those are the best teams where John Getzinger is our CMO. He always talks about how businesses take on 
really family businesses take on the dynamic of the family. And he's like, if you're ever around the Lorenzans, they love each other. They got each other's back through thick and thin. Everyone knows that. It's just fact. But yet they'll argue like they (laughs) hate each other. And, you know, I just was with my family a couple days ago and, you know, we have heated debates and different perspectives on a lot of things and we're arguing, but it coming is coming from a place of love on the backside. So if you love someone, but yet are so open and honest, even when you don't agree, you can get to decisions that are really smart. You can get there really fast and you see some of the best teams that are like that. And so at, at Purist, we're trying to, we are, and we're not trying, we're creating a culture, a shared language where people are open. People are not always super kind, but we know we got each other's back. So we've created an environment where you can be real. And then that allows us to move quicker, make decisions faster, you know, and, and really get the decisions closer to the problem. So that, that, that scale. I love it. And let's go back to, to this, to- this topic here. So you and I both have, and you introduced me to the book, Pitch Anything. Right. Right. I, you'd said, oh, you got to reach Pitch. I like, I have no idea what the book is. And I started reading it. I'm like, wow. Well, let me set the frame right. Okay. Go so, for it. so I'm, I'm in this, first of all, I get introduced to you by a friend that I just take any meeting that Jason Koontz tells me to take, I take. So he's like, you got to meet this guy. I'm like, okay, do it. Yep. So you come in, uh, you have a notebook, you're dressed like you always are dressed, you know, and you start going in, asking us questions and, and telling a narrative about our situation that I'm like, yeah, yeah. And you, you set the frame. Yeah, re- really, the, the, this expert frame of everything that we were dealing with without you actually knowing what we were dealing with. We'd start telling you, like, so let me, let, let me repeat back what you just said to me, Tyler. So, so we're on the same page. And it was just right, 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 right. And you started saying your you know, story teach tool, frame, message, tie down. And I was like, oh, you're framing. The frame, <laughs> like, I'm all about frames. I, have you heard of this pitch anything? And you said, what are you talking about? And that was when we both realized that our context of frame was slightly different yeah but oh so close and i think it's been for me it's been powerful learning yours oh it's and been Warren Claff, i mean he's he's, he's a frame he, master yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give him a hats off in yeah. the interview a uh, little nod for Warren. <laughs> no the, so but when when i started realizing because i didn't the framing came for me in just studying neuroscience right. just in there's, there's this concept and that's everything i've done has been like okay there's this thing here but shit, what does it mean over here? And then all of a sudden start using it and then being in situations where, you know, because you said, like, I, I, I learned how to do this by studying people like your dad, right? Yeah. And I do want to talk about your dad in a minute. The, or even people like you if I was younger, right? It's like, how is he so this way? And I'd sit and watch because I wasn't that way. And then you realize there's, there's a science to it. And then this guy writes this book. So, because those that are listening to this, I want to take framing to that next level. Okay. And where you have really mastered the different specific kinds of frames. I mean, I, you yeah. just, I've watched, and that's why I love hanging out. You're like, Expert frame, moral authority frame. And you start just kind of naming all of them. And I'm just like, and to me, I'm just like, oh, this is fun. Let's see what, like, because I'm watching and observing. There's one, so first of all, look, walk me through some of the ones that you really enjoy. And then I want to ask you a real specific question. Yeah. So I, I think, first of all, so Oren puts a lot of language to just the different types of frames. And he talks about it from a perspective that, a frame, that when you go into any business situation, really any, any, conversation, but any business situ- situation, 
there's going to be dominant frame and a weaker frame. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately just understanding that that's reality is first and foremost. And if your goal, uh, whether you're in sales, you're raising money, whatever you're trying to do, you have to eradicate neediness and, and change the frame so you can communicate to a listener that doesn't want to listen. So pause there. So the, the listeners, if you're fighting with what you just said, if you're listening to this, that there's a weaker frame and a more powerful frame. Mm -hmm. If you're fighting that, if you think that that's a, there's a sense of reality in human dynamics that I think we all have to accept is what I'm hearing you say. And yeah. in business has rules, we didn't create them, right? right? And, if, and we have to play by them. It's like football has rules, baseball has rules. Business has those rules. And one of them is that it's like, a, there is a competition there. There is a, one is weaker and one is stronger. And that doesn't mean, weak doesn't mean loss too, yeah. but one is going to win. Could be positive, could be negative, but mm -hmm. keep going. And he, he talks about that, you know, that balance as a social hierarchy, mm. which you, know, you start tying that down to, you know, what does that really mean? Yeah. But ultimately what he's getting at is if, if I'm a sales guy and I want to sell you something, you have the dominant frame yeah. because I'm trying to get you to buy. I have leverage. Exactly. You have the leverage, yeah. but to, for a seller to be successful, you can't think like that. Yeah. You have to understand the buyer because let's face it, we're in a buyer's world. We're not in a seller's world. There's not a selling process. There's a buyer's process. Buyers have too many options. Mm. They can go everywhere. They can buy whatever they want. They can search it online. They can order it, Amazon. Have it overnight or in hours. Whatever. So if you're a seller, you have to really understand what do you bring to the table and what value are you do you have? Because that is the only way to prevent yourself from looking needy. That's what you meant by eradicate neediness on your part or exactly. the seller's part. Got exactly. Like, Desperateness yeah. or things. Example would be if, if you're selling something and you, you walk into an account that you, you could sell them product. You have it. It's right in your bag. But you have to establish that you don't sell to anybody. You're choosy on the sellers that you sell to. And that's not an easy conversation to people that are uncomfortable talking like that. But yeah. in reality... It's just like having a friend. We can choose who we are friends and not friends with. Yeah. And, and some people are uncomfortable by saying no to someone that wants to be a friend. And I, I really think that, that the, the different frame busters, but controlling the narrative mm -hmm. by really understanding what you bring to the table in that buyer's journey and what matters to them and their vantage point, their perspective, their frame, and labeling that lets you communicate better. So if you are, say, say I'm selling you, you know, really fancy rocks. Like diamond rocks. Like diamond rocks. And, okay. But you, you're, you're a, an innovator around diamond rocks. All right. I'm not gonna, first thing I'm gonna say isn't going, going to be price. Because you're an innovator. Yeah. You wanna know what's so cool about these diamond rocks that allow you to be the diamond rock expert yeah. and be the cool person with the diamond rocks. Let's say you're the, uh, a procurement guy of the diamond rocks. You care about price a lot. Yeah. You really care about price a lot. And that's all you want to talk about. So if I'm a seller and I leave with price, guess what? I, all I have to offer price. Yeah. So I have to have a scarcity frame and let you know that well, we don't have unlimited amount of diamond rocks. We're going to really try to understand if we're a good fit first. Yeah. And then we could talk about all the features and benefits and the price. Eventually we'll get to the price, but let's establish that, you know, there's a relationship here because yeah. in the end, as a seller, you got to be choosy and it's no different than dating. You know, <laughs> if you're too needy, people will take advantage of you. And that's, that's not fair. It's just how it is. Have you ever used any of your past successes 
in important meetings to establish a frame where maybe had you not had that, yeah. it would have been highly out of your favor. It's a re really fair question. I get it all the time. Like, hey, do you just wear your Super Bowl ring? You know, this or that. I, I don't wear it. One, I, I've, I've actually never seen you wear it. I, I wear it every time the, the Saints play the Vikings just to, to send pictures to my team. Yeah. But that hasn't actually gone that well for the Saints lately, so I probably need to <laughs> uh, quit that concept. But you're right on, right? And what you're talking about, as it would be labeled, would be an intrigue frame. Meaning, how do you, if you've lost the audience, if you lost the intention of the audience, how do you create something of intrigue? And so I've never used, you know, my Super Bowl ring per se to establish intrigue by any means, but through conversation, telling stories about sports, yeah. telling things that really happened to me, yeah. creates a narrative and changes the perspective of the conversation to something that's intriguing, yeah. which creates attention. Yeah. Then you can bring the conversation back to what you were talking about. Now that happens a lot. Most of the time, frankly speaking, I don't bring up sports the buyer does yeah. or whoever I'm talking to brings it up because it's people like talking about football yep. and it's a, it is fun to talk about. And, you know, I've, there was probably maybe a few years ago when I was trying to prove myself as a businessman, I was against this concept of, you know, the athlete past. Now yeah. I'm, I look at it more as you know, that's a decade ago. I can still get around a little bit, yeah. but I'm washed up <laughs> in, the, in the world of pro sports. And that's totally cool. So let's, we can talk about the past a little bit. But I want to say one thing on that too is it's, I, as long as I've known you, I've never once seen you wear it. You've never offered out a story unless we're you know, hanging out and it's relevant with the boys and, we're, and it's a right. good time. And I want the listeners to understand that you understand. Like I'll, give you, I'll give you a frame to this. I came up with a saying recently. It says, use a story mm -hmm. to deliver me a message. Don't waste my time to tell me a story. That's right. Right? So you're using the story. You're using, story is a framing device. Mm -hmm. Use the framing device to deliver me a message. Don't use my time to use a framing device. Right. You have, this is a framing device. This ring is a framing device. And what I admire about you is, one, your humility to not always pull it up, but then your strategic business mind to go, hold on, this is a tool. And damn it, I've earned that tool. <laughs> and I'm gonna use it for good. God bless Drew Brees, you know. <laughs> and I, I agree with you completely. So to me, there, I, I really think that, you know, as people like you, for example, you, you're so good and I'm not this way. I'm way too rough around the edges for people to be like, oh yeah, he's, you know, too articulate. I say improper grammar, you know, I keep it real. <laughs> but people like you that are so polished have to really start managing that ability to use frames, use story, use narrative, kind of too much because yep. then Pete, the, the viewer is like, here we go again. Too much again. polish is bad. Here we go again. Another story, another story, another story. So again, it's, if, if that's always your go-to, you're, you're losing novelty. Oh uh, yeah. So then you've Explain done novelty. Well, you know, the, the I mean, brain. Yeah, but let's talk about novelty. The brain now. likes new things. Yeah. But if that's your only play. It's not you know, new anymore. If, if this is your only thing, you don't have the chops, yeah. you're done. Don't tell me a story. Or tell me a story, or you, excuse, excuse, use a story mm -hmm. to deliver me a message. Don't use my time to tell me a story, yeah. but then just change out story for framing device. It's like, use a framing device to tell me a story. Don't waste my time to share a framing device, because there's no purpose for it then. That's right. I, there has to be a purpose, and talking about this, 
you know, you, at the you, right. Would you like to hold this? Of course I'd like to hold okay, this here thing. You go. Go yeah. Ahead. I mean, I've been staring at it the so, entire so time. So he made me bring this, okay? So I didn't no, I, randomly like have it in my car. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I begged you to bring it. Let's just be real. I begged you to bring it. I said, dude, I go, hey, you know, it really might help ratings. No, I'm just kidding. So but, I, uh, it's COVID. I've mm -hmm. set up my own personal office in the basement, no windows, you know. And my whole frame is embrace isolation. The rustle and tussle of everyday life, traffic, this and that, you know, hustle and the bustle, whatever. Now we are forced to isolate ourselves, embrace it. Yeah. You know, be Clark Kent, go to Smallville, be Superman and go to the Fortress of Solitude and yeah. just find your Zen. So I build my office in a no window room in my basement nice. and set up the shelves. And I was thinking, okay, what do I need? I need all my books. You know, I'm going to embrace my sports pass and set up a nice Zoom background with my football helmets and you know, nice. a little, little uh, entourage of what I once did. So I am embracing that. There's a nice home on that shelf nice. with some of my rings. So I want to, for those listening, I don't have a Super Bowl ring, right? but I have, a, I have a speaker reel. That's my Super Bowl ring, that's right. right? And in the sense of that's my big framing device. Mm -hmm. and it's that one thing that I spent a, an ungodly amount of money on to capture a history of, in a perfect way succinct manner to show and create, oh, he knows what he's doing. Right. And that creates leverage for me. And so those that are listening to say, okay, if you don't have one, then you got to start figuring out what is that one thing. And maybe it's a story about a past. Or maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, a story about you know, a coaching thing, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. And it doesn't, my speaker reel took me 20 years to build. Mm -hmm. So it's not like something you say, okay, go build one. It's a journey to continually build those and they become part of the arsenal. You taught me this language, ethos, pathos, logos. And really what you're talking about is ethos, right? How do you build street cred? Absolutely. And I think there's nothing more powerful than someone that has it than to dose it out. And specifically in uh, environments where group selling is required. So people are vetting out your team. Yeah. You know, they're there. They've, you've already got through that, that weird, you know, a, prospecting and trying to get a lead in and the hardest part i think in sales to not look needy when you you really just want to land the appointment to be real yeah like what what's the linkedin are you going six money making activities on me uh no <laughs> but i'm with you i did read that today those are great and yes and then establish the appointment and then you know go to the next thing but with with that that step in it yeah you know the linkedin message to the person that you don't know but you know that there's value you can add to them and all you have to do is get into the same room yeah. or same Zoom call and share that value and they'll be in, in all in. But it's so hard. You get past that one. That script and that, that, that ability for mm -hmm. people to do that, uh, get those people on your team. Because it's I struggle at teaching that. Um, it's, it's, but what I was saying is once you land that, that Passing around ethos is, is critical. And Beautiful. as a leader, that's something that you can do that makes your team that much more powerful. Because if you're that one-man funnel because you're so good or this or that, you're not going to scale. You're not going to be any good. And that's, you know, what I'm good at is convincing people to join purists that are way better than me. So the last thing I want to do is, is be <laughs> the person. I want those guys to handle it because they're better at the thing. And uh. they'll do it much better and the customer will be happier and everyone will be more successful. And that's been probably the most joyful thing to do. One is convincing my sister to quit biomedical engineering and Huge. come do all the things that I'm terrible at, which she's really good at. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant at. And then she's one example of many people 
to convince leaving their jobs, you know, like Rick O'Hara, for example, coming to Puris and industrializing win. our business and just building a team that's, that's kicks ass and we have a lot of fun. I'm gonna switch gears on you a little bit. Okay. You, you are one of the most unique people I've met and not that you're just a typical white guy that plays sports. It's in your mindset and your background, your beliefs, but also your relentless commitment to excellence. I would say we're friends, but there's also, there's no room for nothing, anything less than excellence. And it has been one of the best things that's happened in my career. And so I mean that like as a thank you, even though I haven't seen you in two months because of this whole thing, you still live here. And everything that I'm doing, I'm going, and I've got a couple people like that in my life that I'm going, hold on a second, would this meet their standard? And if there's, and, and it's been, it's, it's a huge gift. Now, having met your father, I see where it comes from. So talk, to, tell me, this is just you and I talking. I yeah. want to hear, what does your dad mean to you? First of all, he's my hero. Just flat out. I told him, I was with him this weekend, and I was like, Dad, it's, my sister has a, a son, Cameron, and Cameron looks at my brother-in-law, Jordan, like he's Michael Jordan, literally. <laughs> yeah. He does a backflip or does whatever, shoots a shot, catches the ball, and he idolizes him. And I said, Dad, that's me. That was me as a kid, and what's so cool is now, you know, we're grown-ups and we're still buddies and you're still my hero yeah and that's not isn't always roses it's not always good it's exhausting working with your family at, at times what i remember and what i've learned the most from my childhood but just spending time with my dad is he has an attitude where he really believes anything is possible like anything he actually thinks the human mind is the limitation to everything that if we just if you could pull out uh, probably the neocortex, the doubt, all the yeah. analysts, you know, going through all the reasons why this shouldn't happen. If you could just remove that, he thinks humans could do anything. And th that to me has been, is really good balance for like what's the potential, what's possible. So you can live a life where, you know, it's, it's exponential and you could, the possible is, is really attainable. But I think through that process, my dad established that I could go get anything that I dreamed of. My mom established that it takes a certain style of a person to deserve that. Mm. She's built this, I would call it a moral, really moral compass of sorts that says, look, good things happen to good people. As long as you do good, mm. the likelihood of good things happen to you is much greater. And that combined with my dad's belief that anything is possible has really kind of built my how I go about life. And I look at it in a way that if, if anything is possible, but yet you set a standard for less than what's possible, you've just created a ceiling for everyone around you because that's a new standard. But if you set a standard that's higher and you continually challenge that standard and open to new ideas, open to old ideas, just open, then what's possible of those standards is always to improve. And that's really what the team has brought what Nicole, my sister, has brought to me is being so good mm. at whatever it is that they do. You know, partners, investors, friends, they help you set new standards. And you just have to be open enough that, you know, you don't have it all figured out. No one does. And if you look back 10 years from now and say, man, I was stupid back then, that's awesome. <laughs> so that means you grew so much. And so just soak it all in and, and keep setting a higher standard. And, you know, I think the Drew Breeses of the world, you know, people like that, you see them operate and you're like, whoa, 
You got, I mean, you got a chance to be around. I mean, a Drew Brees, and you've even you've had interactions with Tom Brady. Is that right? Yeah, just not limited, but you see them. Um, you know, I think from afar, you just see these guys are really got their stuff together. Well, oh, man, they're a great family guy. They're great on TV. Everything they say is genius. But what shows up is when you're with them every day, yeah. and they're making the most money on the team, and they're there at 5 a.m. Yeah. And when they're not the fastest guy, but yet they're tying you in a sprint. And you're like, how is that possible? This guy is, you know, outworking me. And he just played on Sunday. You know, those types of things remind me that hard work hmm. is a, an advantage. And having a chip on your shoulder and recognizing that hard work can equalize or give you that edge, shoot, I'm gonna work hard. That is for sure. That's the only thing I had. I sucked in school. I barely made the teams and work was the only thing I can control. It's the only thing. Yeah, I feel you. And you, so there's, there's a difference between people who say the mind is a limitation, we're the mm -hmm. only limits. I mean, it becomes such a cliche. Yeah, I know. But then there's those rare, and when I say rare, rare few that truly believe it. And, and that's your dad. And when it's, mm -hmm. I want to put some, I want to go deeper and double click on that or okay. zoom in on that. Yeah. I mean, even in my conversations with him, he's talking about sustainable food in countries that don't have it by planting something. He's talking about changing governments. He's talking about, I mean, his mind is limitless. It is one of the most, at first you're like, is this real? And then you realize three hours later, it's going, this is really real. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, what was that? So what were some of your memories as a kid seeing that? Well, the business we're running today is to a T what he said would happen. Tell, tell us, I would love to hear that story, so beginning you, to end. You know, imagine you're six years old, working in a field in Iowa. Uh, your family has limited to no money, and your sister is a, literally a walking genius, so she skips school, doesn't even go, and travels around the Midwest working in the field with my dad, planting. That, that is... That was Nicole, she skipped school and still was a genius. Oh yeah, 100%. I couldn't skip school because I wasn't smart enough, yeah. so my older sister handled it. And he told us back then, he goes, you guys, you're working very hard right now. Your life is different than other kids, but you don't really put it all together. It's just normal. It's just, it just is. He goes, and, and someday this is how it's all going to play out. You know, people are going to need to eat plants instead of animal meat to get their protein. The world's going from seven and a half to 10 billion people. It sounds cliche now. Yeah. But back then, this was, this was different. Nobody was saying that. And he said, it's going to take a system that's more sustainable and works for everyone. It's got to work for the farmer. It's got to work for the, the eaters. It has to taste good. They have to love the food or they won't keep eating it. We have to build a system that, that makes it happen. So he said what we would do. We would have a system of the base of genetics, so seeds. And on one side, we'd have ingredient technology. And the other side, we'd have food technology and we'd build what he called at the time the world food system. And he shared a vision that we would be a, a huge company. And he said, whatever you think it's going to be, he still says this to me every day, it's gonna be 10 times bigger. Never stop, keep going, and just believe. And his belief is that we choose the dimension of reality we live in. And so choose the one you want, and mm. don't doubt. And his, one of his sayings he reminded me before I played every game was success is not being afraid to fail. And just if the worst thing in the world can happen and you accept that, hmm. and you don't blink, you can do anything. 
have to eliminate doubt so you can go be what's what your potential is. What a gift to have that at that age. Yeah. I don't, I didn't realize it too. Yeah. I, I told him that, that this past weekend, I'm like that, you know, my dad was my play by my best friend. Like I'm so lucky, yeah. you know, Cameron's so lucky to have Jordan. Like this is yeah. uh, incredible and fortunate. And you see like a lot of people don't get that. So I think as I, you know, one of my passions is seeing some of my college teammates really expand that influence mm. to with absent of a dad in their life to go impact people that aren't in the same position as I was with a ridiculously awesome mom and dad that were, you know, 24 years old, super young, but just awesome. And I had a great childhood. And then how can you make that and help fill those gaps to really let people realize that, you know, you can choose. You may not have the same opportunities today. Don't let that stop you. Figure it out. Keep going. Keep looking. Keep wanting more. Keep aspiring to be great. And, you know, it just may happen to you. Awesome. It's got to happen to someone. That's so awesome, dude. Thank you for sharing that. I'll give you one final question. Okay. So I, I'm bummed that this is over. I know, dude. I, let's go back to some of your moments that you've been able to, because I really want to. I want to drive home framing and tie downs, right? Mm. Because let's we talk about tie downs for a little bit. Okay. Because our audience here is probably still struggling. You know, they, they, they're getting it, they're seeing it, they're seeing frames when they walk, they're, they're learning how to tell stories, but they're, you know, it's, it's a stumbling process for a while, right? So what was, you, when, when you first learned about tie downs, tell me about you, what you learned, how would you explain it? Because there's how I explain it, and there's a million videos out there on that. Mm-hmm. How do you explain it? How are you utilizing it? And maybe if you have any examples. Yeah, tie downs are awesome. First of all, what a better word to say than Action items, to-do lists, like, all right, what do we got to tie down? Uh, it's vocabulary, it's language at Purist now. It's, it's funny how often people say, oh, we need to tie that down. And to me, what that means is you have to tie it down from the person you're talking to's perspective. So oh. speak in terms that they care about, not you care about. And one of my uh, business colleagues, her name's Bria, and she's a, a wizard in marketing. And she always talks about, that's, that's a bunch of we, we, we marketing. No one cares about we. People care about themselves and want to be entertained, period. Hmm. And so if you're not entertaining, which I'm not in the entertainment business, yeah. we better talk about them. And tying it down is making something about the person, creating action, creating resolve, creating an anchor about the audience. So the audience can see it, the things that they care about. So when we think about what, what does that mean in a business setting, you know, I, th- I think a lot of leaders say, man, I wish, or owners, man, I wish my uh, employees would act like owners. Mm. Why don't they act like they own the place? They're not. Because they're not. <laughs> and you haven't created an environment where they have enough upside yeah. in success. Yeah. So let's tie things down to matter to the audience mm. or to the team about what's the stake and the outcome do they have? And so when we, when we look at planning and setting goals and really going through, you know, a message, you know, a change process, change management is a critical time for a frame message tie down, bring it back to what matters to the audience. And so they can see it from a perspective they can relate to because in the end, people care about themselves and want to talk about themselves. It's funny is people don't like hearing that. I was even talking to Tara and saying, you know, saying, okay, I'll give you an example. Just scroll and tell me when you feel like stopping. And it's like, you're only going to stop when it, when you care. Mm. You're not going to stop and go, I wonder what they meant to tell me. Exactly. I wonder, I bet you there's a message behind this 
vague photo. And, and this is why it's a buyer's process. You know, back when it was just a, a David Merriman Scott. So a few authors shape how I think about David Merriman Scott and Joe Paluzzi in marketing. Awesome. He has a book about uh, new rules of uh, sales and service, new rules of marketing. He talks about it's, it's a buyer's process because back in the day, there was NBC, CBS, ABC. Everyone watched the same shows yeah. and there was always commercials and you couldn't fast forward the commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they we weren't in control. You weren't in control. So it was a seller's process. They would tell you what are the things to buy. There was Glad and there was the in-store brand. And Glad would run, I'm just making up an example, yeah, yeah, yeah. would yeah. run all the reasons why that is worth a dollar more yeah, than yeah. the Walmart brand or whatever. And you start seeing how has media changed? Well, I don't know the last time you've watched a commercial, but I don't watch them. YouTube Skip. now has commercials and it drives me crazy. Skip. Skip, right? That is interrupting marketing, but buyers are in control. Yeah. You know, how fast will we switch off if uh, there's there's an ad on Facebook so quick? Yeah. So I think that's changed the process and it has to change how marketers, sellers, and people that own businesses. And you know, but, think, we're, but you're saying we're also, as we speak, we're marketing and selling. And that's what I was going to say second. is people cringe at the word of seller. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're selling me. <laughs> we're all selling. in sales. If you run a business, if you're in a company that you care about, every one of you are selling. When you talk to a person that asks you what you're doing, you're selling. Mm -hmm. You don't know you are, but you're selling a vision. An maybe, idea. Maybe an idea. Maybe you're recruiting. Maybe you're just trying to show how you're doing all right in life. You know, whatever it is. And I think when you start embracing that selling is not a bad word. Yeah. Because you realize that selling is about sharing value and creating value for others. Yeah. Then it, it changes the whole paradigm. And I, I really think buyers and customers that are long-term start seeing you from that perspective and changes your relationship. Like when you call me, I'm excited because I know the value I'm gonna get from one phone call. It may be two minutes or it may be an hour, mm. but we're going to do something that is going to be powerful. Yeah. And same goes hopefully for the way Purist interacts with ours and that, that's our intent. What's well, the goal, right? Yeah. It's, and th I, that, that means a lot you said that. And that's one of those things that when you value the relationship, you hear that, and the moment I stop trying to be that mm. is the moment it starts going away. Yeah. And not because it's, it, and it doesn't, the friendship doesn't supersede value. That's the mm -hmm. thing in a business environment. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And I tell people that if you're ever doing business with friends or if you become friends with the people you do business with, the moment friendship enters the, the game, you should double and triple down on the value. That's right. And only because the closeness, just by definition, starts to diminish value. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just by definition. Right. You, anything you get close to is just, you just take it for granted. Well, it diminishes you know? novelty too. It's, it's no, not novel anymore. Yeah. Right? So there's... <laughs> there's that's you know, great. I was, we were in the process of, okay, how are we going to close this? I was trying to figure out, like, God, you know, the budgets, and I feel like I'm shooting the dark, you know, all that kind of stuff and everything happening, and then COVID. Boom. Shit. And I'm like, this is not the time to ask for money. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not the time. And, but I stopped that all around. It was one of those things I'm like, you know, and somebody said, why? Like, why'd you do that? I said, I, I, the only analogy frame I had was, I honestly felt that everything that I have been researching and studying, my life's work was perfectly suited for right now. The moment I saw the MBA cancel, the moment, whether you agree that this is a big deal or not, is I knew irrationality was coming. Mm -hmm. And when irrationality comes, fear comes. And when fear comes, poor decisions start happening. I can't stop that, but maybe I can 
shine light on our choice of above the line, below the line. Let's keep it simple, friend, right. label, right? That's a beautiful label, just make it above the line, below the line. Maybe I can shine a light at what's happening in the brain. So we talked about the, courage, the, the, the brain model. Mm -hmm. And if I can shine a light on those things, that maybe this is my time to do that. And then I thought too, there's, everyone's gonna go silent and not do that. This is where I've got to triple down and just put everything. And I just flooded everything I had out there. I think you'll look back a year from now and be thankful that you were forced to change your model. Yeah. Cause you're, you're gonna learn new skill sets that if everything would have been normal, yeah. you would have just stuck with the same strategy. Exact same strategy. Exactly. And if, if I'm you, I have to think of how do I lower my acquisition costs to new customers? Because I, I have to do that. So, well, one of your biggest costs is traveling around and doing Hotel all this Hotel rooms stuff. and it, food. It just and adds up. And then how do you ultimately scale And when you're a person? Yeah. You know, you have to build a system. And I think that the technology it democratizes everything. Yeah. And, and getting good at it fast will, will, is really exponential for what is possible for your influence. And as you start weighting, you know, the value you can give to the masses, mm. and you start looking that as the currency versus dollars, game over. Mm. That's, you know, what you can do, what you've done for myself and Purist, and what you have done for everyone that works with you. That's going to be what you do for everyone that watches those videos. Mm. And those subtle impacts start adding up, and then your influence, which is really the currency that you, you operate under, yeah. is exponential. And thank goodness for the internet. You know, Bill Gates invented it, so. <laughs> Wasn't so, it Al Gore? <laughs> oh yeah, Al Gore, does yeah. <laughs> One of those guys. Bill Gates, Al Gore, same, same. Thank you, that, that's, that's awesome. The, man, the, 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 you're right, there's so many things I wanna talk about. So talk to me about, for those listening, I have been a carnivore at heart, Cuban. Yeah. I eat every part of the pig you can imagine. I pride myself in cooking the best steaks and meats and everything. And I met you and now I have, I still eat meat, mm -hmm. but I'm telling you, I see it a lot differently now. And plants make their way into my life a lot more than they did before. And there was a period of time where I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna try this plant strong stuff for a little while. Right. I mean, your ability to take my culture, my history, my pride and shift it speaks volumes of what Purist's message is. So can you just tell us, just have some fun. Yeah. So Let your heart speak on Purist. So Purist is a plant-based protein company. And we find that telling people not to eat meat or don't eat dairy or don't eat this or that, or a restriction diet, which is really all diets, how they're framed up, is a, basically a short-term plan. It's not going to allow any, it's not gonna allow the masses to scale. So we changed that, that narrative. We said, no, it's a plant strong diet. Love it. Try to eat more plants, try to work towards having a whole food plant-based diet, more plants on your plate at all meals. Yes, buy some stuff that has purists in it, Mm -hmm. And when you can have an equal or better experience that happens to be from plants, there's some health impacts. There's certainly some environmental impacts that are better. Yeah. And we, we, we highly encourage you to give it a try. And if you like it, call us and we can help you uh, really find some really great products that you can incorporate into a lifestyle. For me, uh, you know, I've been plant-based or plant-strong for six years, seven years now. And I always was a very plant-forward eater. And it was challenging as an athlete because the training, really the whey protein, dairy yeah, proteins, yeah. that's 
all. Oh, and the culture too, though. That's a culture. Like it's you can't be strong mm-hmm. unless you eat meat or, you know, whey. And that has been you know disproven time and time again. And, horses and everything. <laughs> yeah, but there's different kind of stomachs. But in the end, you you eat protein to get amino acids. You need amino acids because there's nine of them that are essential that you have to consume through diet. Your body makes amino acids, but when you consume food, you have to get them. Well, animals have all amino acids because they're mammals. And so they've ate plants and then produced those amino acids. So you consume an egg, meat, or dairy. Yeah, you get all your amino acids. I'm not arguing that. But you can also Mm -hmm. get all your amino acids from plants. And to me, what Purist has gotten good at is taking those amino acids, those proteins, and building foods that you're used to eating. They taste good. Taste good. Yeah. And make uh, dieting enjoyable. So it's not dieting; it's a lifestyle. And yeah. I think in the world of dieting, it's so much, it's kind of like politics. People get so uh, emotional. Emotional yeah. about it. Yeah. Like, protective. You know, paleo diet or carnivore <laughs> keto. diet or, or plant-based or keto. And all, all in all, they're pretty close. You know, eating a bunch of whole foods that are plants. Is, is is a positive thing and lowering caloric caloric intake and lowering caloric intake <laughs> yeah. you but know? you eliminate one macro and it's lower so i think we're i think a human understanding of nutrition isn't that great personally yeah. i think there's a whole bunch of science that supports the old way of food and as the you know policy and really academia follows you know currency mm. so as the economic support and more investment in studying and improving out you know plant-based diets i think there'll be more and more science that starts coming to the forefront that you know plant-based eating is really powerful well it's definitely a movement you see people saying i'm plant-based now i'm plant-based i i love the plant strong frame Mm -hmm. because it doesn't mean that i am leaving my carnivore meats it doesn't mean that i am not doing it just means that i and it but it can mean that i'm only plants that's right or it can mean that I really enjoy the benefits of, and I believe in, in all. It's just, it's such a beautiful forward thinking, but ah, what's, I don't even know the word. But it's, it's positive like, versus negative. Yeah. It's, so it, you, you can avoid and talk about what I don't do, yeah. or you can talk about what, what you is do. What I'm doing. And that's, to me, is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, not, it's not for everyone, and yeah. we don't need it to be for everyone, but as long as the, the movement continues and we can create food that people love to eat, and they're mind blown that it comes from a pea, mm-hmm. and we're doing a great job. And that, that's what we're proving is possible with, uh, you know, you see exponential growth in the category, you know, plant-based meats, for example, are the, the highest growing uh, category in grocery yeah. right now. The data was crazy. Everything's growing because people are freaking out about COVID, rightfully so, but plant-based is even growing faster. Mm. Now you're seeing grocery selves that are having issues stocking up their animal proteins because of challenges with the supply chain so well what's what's another way of getting your amino acids plant-based protein plant-based so it's a it's a moment it's the world's at a tipping point i think the nutrition side is is one frame for sure but there's there's probably a bigger impact that happens in the environment when you start building systems of agriculture that are more efficient and create less energy or take less energy to create the same amount of food. It, it's a uh, it's pretty impactful stuff. So two more questions. Okay. We have about three minutes, and I want to see if we can answer both. And if you, you can't answer the first one, that's okay. But you were able to raise a pretty significant amount of money, mm-hmm. and that happened through your presentation, and obviously through framing. And I'm I'm not claiming any of that. That is your team and what you did. But you used 
framing, presentation, and great, you know, the business fundamentals to do that. Can you give me just a minute on how you, what you did and how you used framing for that? Yeah, I think, I think first and foremost, if your business doesn't have the chops, you may be able to go get some dumb money and get people to invest. That runs out pretty fast. That doesn't last long. If your business has chops, then using techniques to communicate your message to get really smart money that adds a ton of value that helps you scale and make a business of great purpose happen. That's where you want to use these techniques. And for us, it was, you know, there's certain, uh, certain process that's really in place to raise capital, you know, raising investment capital isn't always the best thing. You know, it's highly dilutive. It's, it's challenging in its own, but you have to do what you have to do to grow. So yeah. when I think of funding as debt, so monies that bank will loan, they have no upside. They only look at the risk. And then equity, which is cash, they have participation in the upside. They own something, they have equity in it. So we went after both, but as we built more funding through equity, you know, we had to really position how we were seeing a change, a change from a current situation to a new, and how we had a unique unlock to help our partners and our investors to have participation in that change. And as things change, we have a unique advantage to not only uh, participate in that change, but to win. And to- But the change is the story. The change is the story. Yeah. And I think that's the critical piece. Of course, all your financials, all Assuming your Assuming all that is there. Has to be there. And if it's not there, don't waste but your you time. But ha you had to create a compelling message for them to go, we want to be a part of that. And a message that was told in a way that fit their strategy. Exactly. And so can you share how much you raised? Uh, you know, it's, you know, over a hundred, hundred million dollars. Yeah. So this is real money. I mean, yeah, it's significant amount. And it's been, you know, a multitude of rounds. We had, uh, our initial strategy was family offices. So, uh, people that have a long-term hold. What for anybody watching this, they're going through Amplify. What advice would you give them? Whatever you want to say. Uh, that's, that's a tremendously good question. I, I think anyone going need to embrace feeling uncomfortable. It's amazing how out of place you feel when you start doing Amplify. And if you, you know, don't embrace that and choose to get nothing out of it, that obviously is a path you could take. But if you really embrace being uncomfortable and trying to improve yourself in those 48 hours, every moment, you gotta be locked in. It, you really will amplify your influence. There's no doubt about it. I've seen it happen across my business. I've seen people change their whole way of presenting anything, way that just communicating to anyone. And I think that's, uh, I think you're just getting started, frankly, my friend. I do think Amplify is a unique approach to maximize your influence. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to see more and more people leverage the techniques. But I, I, what I like to see is your heart and your passion being spread amongst more people because that, to me, is your currency and your influence, and you are the best in the world at it. Dude, you're going to make me cry now, man. Thank That's you. okay. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Love you, dude. Thanks for making time for this, man. Oh, this, was awesome. this was good. This is first of many. We're going to do more. This, this is fun. Okay, good. We're, we're going to do another one. My thanks. <laughs> I re remember watching your progression on um, uh, Cheddar. On, what was it? C oh, the C CNBC, CNBC stuff? CNBC. And I remember you getting because you go on there they're not there to make you look great they're there to crush you to crush you and i remember watching them ask you the questions and the moment they start asking the tough questions instead of cowering 
you'd start smiling. We'd love that question. I'd watch you lean in. <laughs> and it was so cool to watch just like you controlled that narrative through body language. Mm. You weren't even saying anything. You would just, you'd sit there and, and they would be just trying try to catch you off guard. I mean, that's when they win, right? It's like, oh, we made them look stupid. And you would just smile and just answer that question. But what did you do to prepare to that? For that? Well, I, th I think ultimately the preparation probably happened back in college. You know, when you play the game and they put cameras right in your face and you're yeah. you know, 20 years old and things went well, things went bad and they don't give you any break to act like you're a pro. Yeah. Uh, so you get used to it, one. But I think that something I was told a long time ago was look into the camera and that's hard. Yeah. And just because that's what you're talking to, that's what you see. You don't see a person. You don't see the reaction. You just hear them. Yep. And you have to look into the camera. But I think preparing for that it's, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that could teach you how to be better and, you know, look better, act better, better presence and say better things. But preparing for that type of questioning and really any, it's just knowing your stuff. Yeah. If you know your business, if you know your field, they don't, they know what they know and they're trying to trip you up. You better know what's coming nice. and understanding those frames. Because they're going to hit you with the analyst frame over and over and over again. <laughs> the analyst frame. Know your stuff. I think what you said there is relevant now because one of the things that I'm trying to bring forth is this understanding of the digital body language. Mm -hmm. That you know, the influence zone before was our belly button to our eyes. But now your hands are down here. I'm in the influence zone, but not in the new influence zone, which is up here. And, I, and it's like a physical difference. It almost like you get tiring. Right. But if I'm not, I'm not in the box of, of framing. So I think... And the other thing too is, whereas I'm looking at the screen where I see everybody, but the camera may be there. Exactly. And so I've got to start looking at here and almost sacrifice the, the responses. Exactly. It's a and, tough world. and the responses are delayed. It, it's, it's, it is tricky, and everyone's setup is different too. I, I think, in general, though, speaking with confidence and being direct and clear about your intentions and talking about things the audience cares about is the only way. Yeah. It's the only way. And it's, uh, I think I love Zoom now. Um, I, I do think the hardest part uh, going forward will be when satellite folks stay out of office and then teams come back together because the each person having their own face, that changes. But now having a group conference, video conference, it's not the same. So behaviors will change, my friend, because beliefs has shifted. Dude, I fucking love you. Thank you so much. This is so helpful. Awesome. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com. Thank you.